0: few years ago it was summer and the air conditioner wasn't working that great we had the windows up it was a good night to have that and you know I have four boys so uh, things happen to screens and uh, all of our screens kind of had holes in them we weren't too worried about it and then until a bat flew in to our house now bats are actually very helpful I don't know if you know this a bat supposedly eats his weight in mosquitoes every night so it's a great thing to have bats in your neighborhood right and the trees around you those are great places to have bats but the second a bat comes into your house it is an evil enemy and must be disposed of and uh, I mean you know they got the little hands and the little face and the leathery wing, and they're disgusting and they got to get those things out, and supposedly they carry rabies, and we're getting them out, right? And I don't know about you, but I didn't get the manual on how to remove a bat from the house. I can tell you many ways to not do it. Do not get a beach towel and start waving it over your head in hopes of hitting it. You won't. Uh, do not turn on the ceiling fan. It just makes the thing go crazy. Don't do that. Uh, turn on all the lights. It'll think it's daytime, and it'll go into a corner and go to sleep. So that's what we did. And I'm staring at it. And I got the kids in the rooms, partially because I'm, I'm scared of rabies and partially because I can't stand the screaming anymore. And I'm looking up at the back going, now what? And it strikes me. And I go down the hallway and I open up Harold's door. And Harold, who's already figured it out because he's a better problem solver than I am, has his BB gun in hand, ready for me to take, locked and loaded. And I get the BB gun. I go back out into the family room, and I reach up, and I pop it. One shot, dead as a doornail. Falls down. I pick it up in triumph, take it outside, throw it away, come into the bedroom, and I say, Wife, I have rid us of the enemy. I say, Hey, I, I got rid of the bat. I was so excited, and she looked at me, and she said, how did you do it? And I said, I killed it. Aw, why did you have to kill it? Totally killing my buzz, but it's a good question. Why did I have to kill it? I had to kill it, not because of its beady little face. I had to kill it because I had no other way to convince this bat to get out of my house. There was nothing I could say to the bat. I don't speak bat. I don't know how to communicate to bats. And that's not a problem of me being so intelligent of a creature and so much higher in an order than the bat. It's actually a weakness. If I were smarter, if I were a greater being, I would be able to speak bat. But as it is, I'm helpless. Now, That silly illustration actually illustrates something important. How does God manifest His glory? What what is special about the Son of God? What did He do that earned for Him the name above every name, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? It wasn't being high and holy and lifted up. It was not having the heavens as his uh, throne and the earth as his footstool. It wasn't dwelling in the high and holy place. It was coming down and humbling himself and being with the contrite and the brokenhearted. You know, that's a verse we quote a lot in this church, actually. Have you ever thought that it's literal? God himself really has dwelled in the high and holy place. And he really has come down to the earth. He made that journey so that he could speak our language. So that he could be one of us. And and today we're going to trace that journey. Because I want you to see, there is nobody so low that Jesus can't raise them up. He got under the very worst of us. There is no one that Jesus cannot raise. There is no pain that God himself cannot identify with. And there is no situation that is so dark that God cannot bring light and hope to it. Please stand as we read the story of the crucifixion from Matthew chapter 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And then they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! If you're the, son of, the God, uh, son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, and He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down from the cross, and we will believe Him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver Him now, if He even desires Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. And the ro- robbers who were crucified with Him also reviled him in the same way. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall. But not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. None of us are so low. There is no one so low that Jesus hasn't gotten under them to to lift them up. There's no situation so dark. That God can't bring light to it. There's no pain so severe that God Himself can't identify with it. Uh, first of all, just think of this first step of the, of the humiliation of Christ. Being the very form of God, being everything that it means to be God, every ounce of Godness, everything it, it means in your mind and, and beyond. He was it. And he, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant being found as a man. He, he made that journey. It is impossible to overestimate just that journey, right? I mean, if you were to take on the form of an earthworm, it wouldn't be near as miraculous of a journey as it is to go from being in heaven, surrounded by angelic beings singing your praise, face to face with God the Father, receiving His smile, receiving His joy, returning that smile, one with the Father, being the the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. To go from that to being a baby, born in a stall, poor, a refugee, running off to Egypt to be kept safe. Uh, being a teenager with all the angst, being a, 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 grown, a grown man with the, the responsibilities and the, the problems, be, and then being rejected by your, your own mother, and uh, she thought, thought he was crazy once, came to take him home. He, he's made that journey for us so that he could learn how to speak bat, so he could communicate with us. And you know, I know you know that. That's kind of Christianity one on one. But does your does your heart get that? It has that embedded itself into your soul? I, I thought it had in mind. I really did. I went on a little prayer retreat two weeks ago and um, I went down to Broken Bow Lake because I have to be at least three hours away. If I'm not, I'll drive back in the middle of the night because I miss Bianca. So uh, I was far enough away that I couldn't, uh, you know, come back and I did all this stuff. I got moved into my cabin and I, you know, got a drink of water and kind of made myself at home for a few minutes. And then I drove out to the lake to walk around it and have my first real talk with God. And I do the things, I did the things that I do and I'm having my real talks with him, you know, and that means I... I think about all the things I've done wrong in life, and I get real humble and sad, and I screw my face up. And it's like, Father. And then the Lord communicated to me, and he said, why do you think you have to be sad for me to hear you? Do you think you're crossing some gap between us? Do you think I'm not here all the time? Jesus has crossed that gap. I crossed crossed the gap. You don't have to. You don't have to get yourself ready to pray. I'm here. You don't have to make yourself sad for me to hear you. I'm right here. Let's just walk around the lake together and have a talk. Why can't we just have fun this weekend? Do you think Somehow you're holier when you're sad? I do. (laughs) I'm trying to learn that's not true. I think I have to cross the gap between me and Jesus by being sad and sorry for my sins, sorry enough. And and I just needed somebody to come along and say, Honey, you're never going to be that sorry. But it's okay. He's covered the gap. He understands us. He has come to us. He humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant. But he went further than that. He obeyed all the way to the point of death. And then Paul adds this phrase even death on the cross. Even death on the cross. That that is the, the lowest point of the humiliation was on the cross and we we need to look into that now I'm not somebody who revels in gross stuff you know you all know the kids in uh, you know elementary school that love to pull wings off of butterflies and just to make uh, you know the girls mad and watch things suffer that was not me I mean I'm I, I have this incredible like I think it's a weakness almost a kind of empathy where like if I saw somebody crying I started crying. Before I knew who they were or what they were crying about, I would just start crying. And so I don't get into like the cool physical stuff of the res- of the crucifixion. And to my knowledge, I've never preached on it until you know the earlier service. Uh, but because Paul assumes that we know what a crucifixion is, we need to talk about it. Okay, you ready? Let's talk about the sufferings of Jesus. Let's look at how low he went. It started with the uh, abandonment of his friends and the betrayal of his friends. Somebody that he had drawn to himself, one of the 12 best friends that he had, comes and kisses him on the cheek, gives him this sign of great intimacy and respect and love, calls him rabbi, just so he can point out to the soldiers who to arrest. That's That's a heartbreaking betrayal. His best friends, Peter and Andrew and John, he takes them into the garden with him. And he says, guys, I am so sad, I feel like I'm about to die. Can you please pray for me? And he goes a few paces off, and he starts praying himself. And and when he gets finished praying, he comes back, and they're asleep. Can you just imagine the one time I've ever asked you for anything? The one thing in our whole time together that I've ever asked you for? You fell asleep? You can't even stay awake for me? He, he cries out to the Father in prayer, begging his own dad, Father, is there any other way? He gets silenced. It's interesting that Jesus knows how it feels to be abandoned by your father. He's arrested for something he didn't do. He's mocked and he's held up uh, as as this great villain and they're making fun of him and, and at first they just bring him into this area where they beat him up they they've got him ba- his hands bound and they're coming up and they're saying hey who prophesied you, you who are you prophet tell us who hit you and they wouldn't hit him in the face they they kept beating him the roman soldiers beat him and, and just kind of made a game out of beating him he was a, a human piñata and that is a terrible feeling i don't know if you've ever been beaten up i hope you haven't just the humiliation of it the shame just the shame of having someone hit you in the face. And and we're told that they beat him so badly. Isaiah 52 said his face was so marred he did not look human. He didn't look human. He was so swollen and bloodied that he didn't look like a human. I hope you've never seen that. There are some pictures of, of that from back in the lynching days. When, uh, and when Emmett Till was um, taken, kidnapped from his, uh, from his aunt's house in the middle of the night, they came and got him in a way that would deliberately intimidate as many people as possible. And they carried him off and, and beat him up, and they beat him terribly, and then threw him in the Mississippi River with a fan tied around his neck. He wasn't found for a couple of days, but when he was found, um, he was beaten so badly that the the guys who did it their defense the defense the lawyer presented to the court was that's not Emmett Till he doesn't even look like him to be beaten that badly that marred he felt he knows the feeling of being accused of something he didn't do and convicted of it he he three times had to hear Pilate say this guy's innocent and you know I don't know if you've ever experienced that that feeling of like, I didn't do it. I'm being accused of something I didn't do. He knows that heartbreaking feeling of being on the the wrong side of an unjust justice system. He knows the feeling of being beaten with a whip that was designed to just rip the skin off. And to be hit again and again to bring the blood out and to exhaust the victim. He was so exhausted that when they put the beam on him, it was a prisoner's job to carry the cross beam up the hill to to where the pole was already set. He couldn't even carry it. And they had to make someone else help him carry it. He knows the feeling of just being that exhausted to literally not be able to go another step. Maybe worst of all, for my, for my money, worst of all, he knows the feeling of being stripped and laughed at. And The Bible makes sure, he wants you to know that. They took his clothes off. They tell, tell us again and again. They, they divided up his garments at the foot of the cross. He was hanging there completely and totally exposed. That's literally my worst nightmare. I've had it many times. Right? I would be standing on this stage and I'd forgotten to get dressed one morning and just kind of look down and I'm totally exposed. I've had that, that nightmare probably I've had that nightmare so many times that I'm now able to talk to myself in my dream and say, wait a minute, this is a dream you would never do that. That's how many times I've had that nightmare. Jesus lived it. Total, and, and purposefully put in a position with his arms nailed to the cross with, with spikes through his wrists, ha- hanging there so that he could not cover himself while people mocked and laughed and spit on him. Uh, executions have, up until like America in the last 50 years, execution were, was always a public spectacle. In America, the hangings would be, you know, you'd be notified a week in advance, people would come into town, bring a picnic lunch, greet their friends, kind of have a party atmosphere, and wait for the, uh, the prisoner to be brought out to the gallows and hung. And sometimes they would get so excited about it that riots would break out. You know the stories about the French Revolution when blood literally ran in the streets from them cutting people's heads off with a guillotine and, and shouting uh, and cheering like it was a, a football game. And that that is a tradition that goes all the way back throughout humanity to the time of Jesus when he was very intentionally spread out, spread eagle in the most embarrassing possible way so that people could laugh at him, so that people could mock him. He knows how it feels to be absolutely, utterly shamed. When I was at Mississippi State as a campus minister, I had a girl in our ministry, um, and she'd been through some hard stuff. Her grandfather had abused her terribly, and, uh, and she was broken. And uh, she came to me one day with this huge smile, and I said, well, something in you's clearly changed. What is it? And she said, Jesus was crucified naked. He knows that's the worst part of being abused, to have somebody look at you and laugh at you and treat you like you're worthless. He knows how I feel. And he can heal it. He knows how it feels to, to go into utter darkness and cry out to God, why have you forsaken me? And hear no response. He knows how it feels to slowly smother to death. That's ultimately the reason why you died on a cross was because it was so hard to get air. Your body was being supported with your hands, your feet with nothing to stand on but a spike that's going through them. Every time you wanted air, you'd have to push on that spike, making it hurt even worse. Move your back up and down that's already been ripped open. Move it up and down on this rough piece of wood and (gasps) gather a breath. And finally we're told he breathed his last. I don't know why he died so quickly. He tells us in John 10 that no one can kill him but he would give his life when when and how he expected to. I will lay down my life. No one can take it from me. And and, and think not only of of Jesus but think of the disciples. You've left everything everything for this man. Literally, you left your businesses, you left your homes, you left your family, your father, your wife, you've left your everything to follow this man who you think is going to be the king and you watch him slowly die. And they had to be thinking, you know, they had to be thinking, surely he's about to do something. I mean, we've seen him speak to storms. Surely... Something's going to happen. And nothing did. And they went home in utter darkness, not just in the skies, but in their hearts. Confused, sad, and afraid that they were next. If Jesus went that low, every aspect of the Roman execution on the cross every particular about it was meant to do one thing, and that was to dehumanize you, to make you less than human, to take you from being someone that people would pity to someone people would laugh at and mock. If he went that low, to the subhuman spot, there is no one he can't get under. And, and if the disciples can go from being that distraught, that heartbroken, to being the, the fathers of the church and preaching the gospel, then there is no situation he can't redeem. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about God the Father who had to slowly watch his own son die at the hands of evil men. He knows how that feels. There's no feeling he hasn't experienced. And I want to ask you if you believe that. I got a friend named Gary. He's a new friend of mine. He lives in Arizona, in the state penitentiary, and um, somehow he, he somehow he heard one of my sermons and started following me and has started writing me. And writes to me about twice a week now. Gary. He's an interesting guy, he lived, uh, he was 52 years old, he spent his whole life in the church teaching Sunday school, going to Sunday school, then teaching Sunday school. Uh, but he was living a double life. And uh, one day he realized that his double life was gonna collapse all around him and, and he'd always heard that you, you go to the church, we have nowhere else to go. And so he goes to his pastor and says, I, I've been living a lie, These are, this is what I've actually been doing. And, and his pastor looked at him and said, Leave here and never come back. He left the church. the, the law. He was going to go to jail for, for the sins he had been committing. And he thought, there's only one reasonable option. I need to take my own life. He overdosed on sleeping medication, woke up in the mental hospital three days later, and was in absolute despair that it hadn't worked. His wife divorced him. He was arrested and put in prison for a long time for his sins because they were against children. He was His children refused to speak to him. Still to this day, I have not spoken to him. He was put in prison and, and sex offenders, like usual, are put in uh, kind of private cells so they don't get uh, beaten to death by the other prisoners. He was, abu- he was abandoned by other prisoners. And he started just using that time in solitary confinement to remember the Bible verses he had learned as a child. And when he was at a place abandoned by his children, abandoned by his wife, abandoned by the world, God saved him. God saved him. I want you to know he's praying for you right now. He he wrote me his... Um, he has a Bible study every Monday night of nine sex offenders. And he said, I want you to know every one of us pray for you. If God can save Gary, then there's no one so low that he can't get under them. If God can turn that situation so dark, so hopeless, that a failed suicide attempt is bad news, then there's no situation He can't bring hope and light to. I want you to believe that this Easter. That's what Easter is all about. God redeeming the worst and bringing light and hope to the very worst kind of despair. There is no pain Jesus cannot heal. There is no sin... Jesus cannot forgive and there is no situation that Jesus cannot bring hope and light to. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, you who love to take things that Satan means for evil and turn them out for good, for the good of your people, you who've promised to use all things for the good of those who follow you. I pray that you would give us hope. I pray that we would know that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.